a Superman action figure in a toy coffin, a blue shirt and red jacket, a first flight in the sun above the Arctic tundra. These are some of the moments that define my Superman fandom. Together on this podcast, we journey across time and media to examine, discover, and reconsider the creative visions that have shaped the Man of Steel. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss Superman Redeemed, the fan cut of Superman 3 and Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, is fellow Superman podcaster, Tyler Patrick. Welcome to the show, sir. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you, and I want to thank you right off the bat for having me on your podcast recently, The Krypton Report. It was a blast. We talked about our Superman fandom. We talked about Feora and Ursa, the two uh, Kryptonian villains who sadly have often been used interchangeably. We had a great conversation about that. Uh, So thank you very much for having me on. How long have you been doing The Krypton Report now? Uh, well, first of all, you're welcome. It was a pleasure to have you. I always like to have other people who do, like we talked about like something similar than what we did. Like there's so much to super fandom that even though a lot of people do it, like we all have our own little areas or we, we all have our own voices to say. Um, I would say about six years. Um, it's gone through different phases. You know, like I, I talked about like, it's something I took on myself with not really knowing what I was doing. And just the evolution of technology, how I recorded the equipment that I bought, like it's all been self kind of taught self learned. And I'm always striving to, to make it better. Like, you know, there's, there's old episodes where I even say like, Hey, we're testing out a new mic, <laughs> uh, you know, and especially like if you record, it sounds great. And then you go back and post and you're like, this sounds horrible. What do I do? Um, so it, it's been a journey for me, like just of how, I used to podcast with people like next to me and I had friends who wanted to do it and they kind of backed out. And then I was blessed by the, the voice of Rao and was given James, my co-host. And it's been great, you know, and it's, it's, um, it's awesome because of people I get to meet and talk to like yourself, um, who was like, Hey, we have this similarity, like, but it's, it's been awesome. I, I love it. So Right on. Well, I love what you do. I encourage everyone to check out the Krypton Report, available on all major podcast platforms and on YouTube as well. Yes. Yes, we we've, we've been doing more YouTube stuff. Like, uh, <laughs> what's funny is I, I got tired of seeing my kids watch these videos of kids opening toys, you know, and playing with them. So I was like, wait, I buy enough collectibles. I'm just gonna film you guys opening my collectibles and make my own unboxing videos, just because. And I, <laughs> I started doing that just for fun. Um, but yeah, we started doing more YouTube stuff and I have plans for, uh, to do more. I was sick with like a really bad cold and sinus. Um, so the whole doing things live was kind of put on the back burner, uh, for some video stuff. So I, I also recently overcame some sinus issues uh, myself. So you and (laughs) and I are in the same book and that's the thing as a podcaster and there, you know, I've been, I've been podcasting now between the show and my comic shop history since 2015. So, uh, so six years as well. And, you know, it's like at least once a year, there's some point in time where I have to move a recording because it's like, there's a lot you can kind of get around, but (laughs) if you don't have that voice, (laughs) you know, that's it, you're done. Uh, but yeah, exactly. Uh, and but, it's, yeah. um, it's one thing when like I'm talking to someone and like, we're just recording. Cause then I can be like, all right, I can edit something or let's, let's re-record her. But when I'm doing something live and it, maybe it's just me, 
I did not have in it. No. Yeah, no, that, for sure. And to just to piggyback off of something you said, and and I addressed something similar when I was on your show. Well, like one of the coolest things since I started this podcast has been getting to know the other Superman podcasters. And the best part about that is if I had any reservation about launching a Superman podcast, it was that there already are a lot of great Superman podcasts out there. And so I just kind of felt like, well, you know, I'll be able to make this stand out. You know, will, you know, is, is it worthwhile when it's already a relatively crowded space? Uh, I mean, I guess it's all relative. There are plenty of other subjects that have way more podcasts devoted to them. But again, there are a lot of Superman podcasts. But yeah, to your point, I mean, each one really does kind of have its own focus. You know, there are obviously some that do, uh, you know, uh, their rewatch uh, podcasts about a particular series or whatever the case may yep. be, uh, or shows that take a look at a certain period of Superman history. So there's, that's, I guess, one of the beauties of a character with as long a tenure as Superman is that there's, there's just so much to explore. Um, so it's, it's been cool to find yeah, that like we can each kind of have our own place. And then the other aspect that's just been fantastic is, just again, connecting and, you know, getting such a warm welcome from yourself and from the, the other Superman uh, podcasters out there connecting on social media, things like that, which is how our friendship started. So, um, so again, it's, it's great to have you here. And, uh, and again, I will reiterate uh, my urge to everyone to check out uh, the Krypton report. So as I said, we're here to talk about Superman Redeemed which is a fan cut created by a fan and editor who goes by a digital man online. And like I said, it combines the best, as it were, of Superman 3 and Superman 4. It's a 90-minute cut. And And, um, Superman 2, the theatrical cut. Yes. Um, Because as I I rewatched it, I remember part of it, and I remember... Uh, putting in my notes like in my head canon and we'll get into this a little bit more like this could be the sequel to say um superman 2 the richard donner cut and then you watch this afterwards um so but yeah yes i was just gonna throw that out there no i'm 100 percent with you and that that's i was gonna get i was gonna get to that because that stood out to me as well the first time i watched it uh, so, you know, there's a lot for us to break down and, and we'll do it, but just to give people the big picture, broad strokes of Superman Redeemed, uh, again, in terms of what it incorporates, what it weaves together from Superman 3 and Superman 4, essentially from Superman 3, it retains the Lana Lang, Smallville, evil Superman scenes, including that iconic dumpster junkyard battle. Uh, but it jettisons all of Richard Pryor's scenes, uh, all the Ross Webster work, all of that, the supercomputer, all of that is out of the picture. And from Superman 4, it retains the nuclear disarmament storyline and the battle with Nuclear Man, but cuts all of the stuff with the war fields at the Daily Planet, the double date with uh, Lois, Clark, Lacey, and Superman. All of that goes, and it does weave in, in particular, uh, the opening sequence the, the Paris terrorist plot from the theatrical cut of Superman 2, which I thought was one of two brilliant editing choices, the, which, and we'll get more into it. The other, the other piece that I thought was just so clever and was just it just worked perfectly was uh, in Superman Redeemed, when Nuclear Man scratches Superman, rather than making him mortal and old and sick like it does in the theatrical cut of Superman 4, instead it turns him into the evil Superman of Superman 3. Uh, which I yeah. thought was perfect, and it just fit. And that's, I guess, I guess overall, my big picture take on Superman Redeemed is that 
I think a digital man did as fine and admirable and superb, honestly, a job that someone could do with this material. It works. Yes. You know, these pieces weren't designed to fit together. So there are places where it doesn't necessarily feel seamless. But overall, mm -hmm. in terms of what they had to work with, it, it was great. And, uh, and I want to thank you because I did not know about this this cut of the movie until you told me about it and sent it to me. So how did you come across this? So it's, it's a weird story because I was listening to a podcast uh, with some people talking and they mentioned this fan edit called Superman Redeemed. And I got really kind of intrigued by it and I tried to look for it. And then I was talking to my friend, Zach Moore from the Always Hold On to Smallville podcast. And he was like, I got it. I'll send you the link. And he put it in Dropbox and I pulled it off there and then I immediately like made copies of the file and hit it on different hard drives. Um, and it was one of those things like I've just felt like, okay, as a Superman fan, if I find anyone who would be interested, I would share this with him. Cause you know, you, you see a lot of fan edits of fan cuts and they're like, uh, but this was impressive. This was so top notch that, and you, like when we started talking, like it's one of those things like, okay, because the episode that sparked me asking you about it was when you guys were talking about Superman 2 and the two cuts. And as a film person that you are, I was like, this is something that he needs to know about. Yeah, no, I thank you very much. And, you know, to anyone listening to us now or watching us, I, I'd be curious to know if you were aware of this cut of the movie. Like I said, I was not. I will admit, historically, I've never really been one for fan edits and you know, it's not that I, it's not that I necessarily have anything against them per se, but I guess I just look at it as, and, and maybe part of this stems from the fact that I, I make my own movies, I make my own documentaries. And so, you know, the idea of someone, you know, altering a filmmaker's work and vision like that is a little bit, a little bit antithetical to, to mm -hmm. me. But at the same time, I, I can certainly appreciate the passion that it takes to do something like that and the technical expertise. And I will say from the perspective now of someone who has edited a handful of documentaries, it's like I really, like I said, I really appreciate the editing that went into this. And I'll also say, you know, if there were ever, if there were ever a couple of movies who needed some help, it was these two. Uh, now, that's my other question for you, because in advance of this, I rewatched Superman 3. I did not rewatch Superman 4, but I rewatched that about a year ago, around the time when I was first launching this podcast. But in advance of today, I did, for the first time, read the comic book adaptation of Superman oh, 4. Yeah. And I also finally watched the uh, most of the deleted scenes from Superman 4. So that's kind of what I watched in, uh, in advance of today. But I appreciate the opportunity to watch the Redeemed Cut and to have this conversation because... You know, when I was first mapping out the show, I was a little bit, a little bit apprehensive because, and I've said this before, I never want to punch down. And I just felt like, you know, it'd be weird not to talk about these two movies. There are only so many Superman movies. It's like, you know, if you're taking a long view of the character, as we have been here, it's like, eventually we'll get to them. But I don't want to just dump on these movies for two hours because it's, I, I don't know that mm -hmm. that's really adding anything. And the general consensus, including from people who were involved with the movie, <laughs> was that they didn't work. So I was always a little bit like, all right, how am I going to approach this when the time comes? And you gave me the perfect vehicle <laughs> for it. it. I mean, you know, to step back, like I agree with you. Like when you take someone's work 
and you change it, you fan edit it, you know, um, I, I just, especially in today's culture so much, like I had a, a video I shared that I thought was kind of funny, uh, where someone put the black costume and did a full shot of Henry Cavill at the end of Shazam walking into the lunchroom and he says, hi guys. And it was really cool, you know? Um, but when you look at these films, like you said, I mean, Superman four already, we know the history of how they slashed that budget. They re-edit that thing. They took out subplots. They did all this. They already did a horrible um, mess of a job. And then Superman three is such a mixed bag of a film where it's so weird because it's like watching two different movies that somehow come together. Um, and I mean, I'll, I'll say this Superman three. I've seen the least. Um, it took me a lot longer to ever watch it. I share with you how I can never find a copy of it to watch my video store lost theirs and they never got it back. And it wasn't till the Superman returns release. I was actually able to actually watch it. Um, it was always one of those like in the back of my mind, like, Ooh, I want to see this because I was excited. And then the first time I watched it, I was like, Ooh, you know, cause, and it, and it seems like everyone always hates on four, but I'll tell you, I'd rather watch four than I'd watch three. Okay. So I'm with you and I'm going to take it a step further. I think you were generous in calling it a mixed bag. I, it, it's it's crazy. And, you know, <laughs> I'll take a step back, too, and say this. Uh, you know, since we've been doing the podcast, uh, you know, a lot of people have complimented the show very, very graciously, and I appreciate it. Versions of, you know, that they appreciate the passion that we, we bring in talking about Superman. Normally, it's a positive passion. We're talking about stories we love. Every now and then, though, it's on the negative side. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wade into those waters again for this because... I mean, I've seen Superman 3 a bunch of times. The last time that I watched it was probably, I mean, I'm 34 now. I feel like it was about 15 years ago was the last time probably wow. that I watched it. And the view that I've always had, and I probably even said this to you via messenger at some point, was that like, probably. yeah, like it's it's not bad. Like, and it's great to see Annette O'Toole years, of course, before she would play Martha Kent in Smallville. And, you know, it's it's not as bad as Superman 4. That was always my view. Again, having rewatched Superman 4 about a year ago and Superman 3 two nights ago, Superman 3, in my book, is hands down the worst, the worst Superman movie. You know, a couple episodes ago, we talked about the Steel movie with Shaq. Mm -hmm. Listen, I would, I would take Shaq over Superman 3 any day of the week. You hear that, Shaq? <laughs> I got your back. Shaq attack. Yeah. Put out some Shaq food, man. Bring it. You know, Superman 3, I just feel like with four, you're right, right? It was a very plagued production. The budget was slashed. It wasn't executed well, but I felt like the in, the intention was better. With Superman 3, they were trying to make this slapstick comedy that really, I think, betrayed this, the tone and the style of the movies. It yes. didn't really fit the character. And more than anything else, I mean, it wasn't... If you're going to make a comedy, it got to be funny, I mean, it's just like, yeah. I feel like it failed on every level and I don't feel like it's, it's heart was in the right place. Whereas for, again, I think they were, they were trying to do something that they just, they couldn't realize the vision, but they were trying. I mean, three was just abysmal. I mean, at least with four, they got Gene Hackman back yeah. and that brought a lot of goodwill into that movie. So even with the issues that it has, 
you still get scenes of Gene Hackman and Christopher Reeve together. And, you know, like I, I said before, like I've seen four so much because I felt like it was always on basic cable. Like it must have been like really cheap to air because I felt like it was always on basic cable. Um, and three, like I started watching three today. I was like, you know, I'm going to rewatch three. And it was rough to get through because I forgot how much I just the Gus Gorman stuff. I'm like, this doesn't even make sense. Like even even stepping back into like how it was back then, I'm just like, this does not make sense. Like he's got the subplot of office space going on with these people who are copy paste Lex Luthor and Miss Texmacher that aren't even comic book characters that not even like they could have been like it's Maxwell Lord just throwing out a name, you know? Um, so it just, it just did not feel like it was really. And then just the, like you said, the slapstick comedy of the opening scene of Superman coming in. Like it was funny when Clark was kind of the slapstickish character in a world of everything. So serious, like it kind of made him stick out and be that bumbling buffoon. And we've talked about that. Um, but when everybody is that, you know, I think the only person who actually plays it more straight is Perry. Um, and Perry's got, I mean, he's always got some great lines. Um, and then, of course, like I loved Annette O'Toole in it. And that's why The Redeemed is so important because it's like, hey, there was some great stuff in here. Watch this. And it, was, it just feels like someone who really understood how to tell a story. And I, I wrote it down in my notes, like, this is a movie to watch. Um, I think in, you should almost watch it in film editing classes of how you can take different disjointed things and really make them work. Um, and, you know, it is a night. I have a, I have timestamps in my notes where I, I watched it and I took notes and I took notes with different colored pens, like this scene from Superman three, it goes to this scene from Superman four, you know, and I kind of was just mapping it out and, it moves quickly. Um, it it flows and it works and it makes sense. There's no part where you're really kind of scratching your head like, what? Um, you know, like you said, some things are a little off because totally it's two different directors shooting a film, different cinematographers, different scores, and you can't really edit and augment already scored footage. Like you can do only so much, uh, but it works. and that And that's the beauty of it. Um. Yeah. Yeah. No, man. I'm with you 100. percent You know, it's funny. The one thing, and obviously, again, a digital man, and I don't know. I don't know a digital man's real name. I don't know that that anyone, any of us. I do. tried to just find information, and there's like no like account. There was talks on like Reddit and stuff about other cuts that a digital man had made from other films. Um, and I, I'm kind of curious because years ago, I have a fan cut. That's um, of the Lord of the Rings, the Hobbit. And it's like a, a cut of the three Hobbit films into one movie that follows the book that the actual Tolkien society got behind this fan cut because it was true to the books. And in the back of my mind, I'm wondering, was it a digital man? Like <laughs> I'm like, want to go on a look because I'm like, it seems that there is a huge um, like following of this person's pr uh, product. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. The, I feel like the one thing that would have tied these movies together, 
even more perfectly. And again, a digital man didn't have this to work with, but you know, in Superman three, he saves little Ricky, Lana's son. And in Superman four, this random kid in a, in a school writes him, Jeremy writes the letter about disarming the world of nuclear weapons. If only little Ricky could have been the one to write the letter or to ask him about it. Then, but it, then it just, it completely just locks right into yeah. place. Uh, again, you know, he, he had to work with the the pieces that he had, but that was the one thing where I was like, "Oh, if only, if only we could have, yeah. we could have twisted that a little bit. It would have been perfect." Oh, I, I totally agree. And did you notice, okay, that um, the opening like uh, fanfare music for Warner Brothers is from the Superman Returns, where the last few notes are the first few notes of the Superman theme? Oh, I didn't realize that it was specifically from Superman Returns. Cause that was the, that's the only Superman movie that's ever opened with the Warner brothers. Dun, 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 dun. Gotcha. And it closes. I'm no musical expert here. People, I apologize. Um, but yeah, I just know that because that was always something in the theater when Superman returns open that like I'd heard that Warner brothers, you know, fanfare. And then it did that. And I was like, Oh, so. Well, you know, that's uh, the other thing. So a digital man gives us proper, uh, you know, Superman movie opening credits, which was one of the things that Superman three directed by Richard Lester did not give us. Instead, the credits played over that exceedingly slapsticky opening number. Horrible scene. I mean, the, the movie just starts awkward. You know, like you, it opens with Gus, which I can understand that kind of opening. I mean, you know, look what the Nolan trilogy did with the like the cold opening with your villain in The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises, which makes sense. But then when we get to the the next parts, the Superman, and it's just very hokey, jokey that if you didn't say, hey, we're watching Superman 3, if I just start, I'm like, oh, cool. We're going to watch a Richard Pryor comedy. And then all of a sudden Superman shows up and I'm like, what? What is this? Like, yeah. why? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it was... I really had a rough time watching the movie the other night. I mean, I was, and, and I don't say this to be hyperbolic, but I mean, I was, I was angry, honestly, most of the time I was watching it because again, it was so, it was so much worse than I remembered. And it just felt, like I said, just not well-intentioned. And it just, um, again, it was such a disappointment. Um, it, it's so much about it. It's like, it, you know, you mentioned before about this stuff not making sense. So, you know, Richard Pryor plays our, you know, our, our, our main antagonist, this uh, amateur computer programmer who instantly becomes this this whiz. Amazing computer programmer. Who yeah. can do anything by basically just like... An awesome... Yeah. Uh, which, again, doesn't, you know, uh, that really doesn't track. And and look, in fairness, you know, I, I know at the time, right, the uh, this is 1983, I mean, the idea of computers and what computers can do, you know, it's a newer and more exciting idea, and they played with that, but... I don't know, even even kind of grading them on a curve for that, it still just plays as so goofy and, and it really doesn't make sense that he's able to accomplish you know, what he's able to and, and he right. you know, works for Ross Webster, who, like you said, is just really a, you know, a, a cut and paste of, of Lex and Lorelai instead of Miss Tessmacher and, and the sister instead of Otis, I guess. Um, I agree with you 100%. It's like, if you were not going to use Lex, like why why not pull in some other characters from from the DC universe. That was actually one of the things I, I I thought of with both movies. And I know fans have speculated about this because, you know, at the end of Superman 3, Gus builds this supercomputer. It's not Brainiac, but it could have been. And in yeah. Superman 4, you know, Nuclear Man is not far off from Bizarro. And it's like if, you know, it wouldn't have saved either movie, but I feel like 
just from a fan perspective, we would have a little bit more goodwill if it was like, well, hey, it was a big screen Brainiac and a big screen Bizarro, but it's like they couldn't give us that. Yeah, you you couldn't give us that. I mean, just watching the scene where Gus, you know, is typing and the guy's teaching, he's like, oh, you can't do this. Computers can't do this. And then the lady's asking him questions and he walks by Gus and Gus did it. And he's like, how'd you do that? And Gus is like, I don't know. Like he couldn't even have been like, oh, well, I was able, I thought of this and like actually showed him as intelligent instead of just being like, I don't know. You know, that's the thing, right? Because when we meet Gus in that cold open, like you said, you know, he's on unemployment and his benefits are are running out and he's in a tough spot. And on a matchbook, he sees this ad for computer programming classes. It's like they couldn't even make it that he studied this. You know, and at least right. at least he has some expertise. It's it's like his first day <laughs> doing this and he's able to accomplish everything. And yeah, to your point, he's like, I don't know. I don't know how. It's like, that's not how computers work. I, I mean, I, you know, <laughs> even through the lens of, of the early 80s, it's like that. That's not how any of this works. Uh, so it was just I, again, that was just baffling. Now, on a on a positive note, I will say this. All the stuff, I mean, you know, Annette O'Toole as Lana Lang was really a breath of fresh air. It was great to see her on her own. It was especially great to see her knowing that, you know, she'll be Martha Kent later on. Um, But I thought that the Smallville scenes, Clark going to his reunion, you know, all of the scenes with Lana at the dance, at the picnic, you know, it, it brought, I think, a new layer of humanity to the character and especially to Clark because he does most of this as Clark and previously and I've been on record as saying I'm not a fan of the you know you know bumbling you know caricature of a Clark Kent who's just bumping into everything so I like the fact that Clark in this movie and and in four had more integrity and we got to see a little bit more of the connection to his humanity so I will I will give the movie that what do you think oh I agree because if you're like I said Looking, I, I'll step back one thing here. In my mind, I've kind of have this like Canon One is like Superman the movie. It's all the theatrical releases. That's Canon One. Canon Two is Superman the movie, Superman Two the Richard Donner cut, then Superman Redeemed. That's my you know secondary Canon of the story. And even in either Canon of these films, um, the idea that you know Clark ends his kind of relationship with Lois. And I've never been a huge fan of the Marth or the Margaret Ketter, Clark Kent, uh, Christopher Reeves, their Lois and Clark dynamic mm-hmm. because she never really likes Clark. And it's not till this film. I feel like she actually has an interest in Clark um, in three. That is when, you know, uh, she leaves at the beginning of the film. So I liked that there's that little bit of setup with her. And now it's like, Clark's kind of freed himself in a way from Lois and he returns to Lana. And there's a lot of like interesting conversation about the one that got away and this, and like Lana even says to him and Lana's genuinely interested in Clark, you know, and in Superman four, that was always one thing I thought was fun was, um, uh, her name's evading me right now. Oh, Lacey Um, Warfield. Lacey. Yes. Um, she likes Clark. Yeah. You know, and they try to do that double date with Clark, Superman, Lacey, and, Lois, um, again, with the L's, he can't escape it. But in all that to say, like, yes, his Clark's a little bit more. It's still kind of goofy, but it's not as much of a caricature. uh, I feel like he puts on in Metropolis. Uh, And also what kills me in three is how much Perry White doesn't seem to really care about Clark. Yeah. You know, like 
he's like, oh, I hate to lose one of my best reporters. And Clark's like, oh, sorry. And he's like, bye, Lois. And then Clark's like, bye. And he, you just see Perry go. Like, he doesn't even say bye, Clark. Just kind of nods his head. Like, like, man, like, he is tough on him. Like, yeah, he, it, yeah, he is. Yeah, I, yeah, I do agree with that. Um, you know, so again, though, I think we're on the same page as far as the, you know, the, the Smallville of it all. And, and again, this, you know, again, a Clark with a bit more integrity than we've seen in the other movies. So, so that's something for it. I also feel like, and maybe, and again, for myself, thinking back to the, I guess the inflated view of the movie that I had for so long before, again, I really watched it with, I think, clear eyes the other night, but I do feel like that dumpster battle, you know, as, as, you know, Superman is battling the, the, the dark version of himself. I feel like that, I guess maybe engendered so much goodwill, you know, for myself and for so many fans that I, I think it just elevated my view of the movie overall. And that, I mean, I don't know. I don't think it's a stretch to say that is an iconic scene from the, from the series. So th it does have that going for it, but I think that colored my overall view. Well, I mean, Superman three is Chris is at his best physical status in Superman three, Like there's shots of him, like staying around where he is the, the best physically fit version of Superman. Um, and all of his, per all of his parts are very, very good. Like his evil Superman parts are very good. Um, the dumpster battle is great also because it has the best Chris shirt rip scene. Yeah. You think about Superman one, he's running across the street and he just kind of opens and he's like, you know, running. But in this one, he has the stand up. He pulls the shirt and it has the music for the theme cued. As he stands up and he, you know, so, I mean, that just has that, like you said, that iconic moment of yes. Um, so his role and what he brings in his scenes in Superman 3 um, is strong. And what's weird is it, it's amazing when you're looking at Redeemed, how fluid it can feel compared to how disjointed the actual movie of Superman 3 feels. When you like have this forced Ross uh, or Gus Gorman stuff with Superman, where you feel like it's it almost feel like that's where they try to like edit stuff together to do some sort of uh, cut because there's it just there's certain parts that you're just like this is where is this going like that movie's over two hours and I'm like this is draggy. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to watch a Superman movie and say to myself, I don't want to watch a Superman movie. I paused. And I feel like yeah. watching three, I was really having that, um, that feeling. And I hate saying that. And if anyone wants to message me and argue, that's fine. That's cool. We'll talk. Um, but you know, at least in four, like I said, you have that Gene Hackman, Le uh, Lex, that's just chewing scenery. You even have, and I pointed out to my wife, I said, isn't this scene funny? I'm like, you have Gene Hackman, Lex, and then our current Lex, John Cryer, right there is Lenny. And she pauses because she had forgotten. She goes, yeah, <laughs> you're right. And then like she kind of watched the scene with me for a little bit. And she's like, wow. And I'm like, I know, right? Like full circle. Um, and he, he, I think if anything's kind of disjointed is where does Lenny kind of come from? Right. Um, and I think – and I wanted to ask you, because I, I had it in my notes, is the breakout scene in this from Superman 2, one of the Superman 2 cuts, 
um, because Miss Tessmacher is in the breakout scene. Because uh, I thought this, the the proper breakout scene in Superman four was with Lenny. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one that they use in Redeemed is, I believe, a deleted scene. And you know, people can double check me on this because it's been it's been a few months now since I did my Superman two deep dive, and I don't have all of the details top of mind. But I'm almost positive that was. I'm almost positive that was a Donner scene, but it was an alternate to the one that he would ultimately use in his cut of the the balloon. And that's also in the theatrical cut. Because I, I thought so, because um, if you look at the credits, a digital man did a great job of crediting uh, Richard Lester and Sidney J. His name is yeah, leaving me. It's, I don't think it's pronounced uh, Fury, but that's what, what it looks like. Right. As the as the directors of Redeemed, like he puts all the crew and everyone who's in both movies, like the screenwriters and everything, in his made credits, um, and Donner's not listed. So the footage from that was one of those scenes where I was like, mm, "Is this a Donner or not?" And then my problem with Superman Two is I watched it not too long ago, but I've watched both cuts because I did a, a comparison podcast on those. But then there's the fan supercut that was made that's highly liked of where someone blended the two together. Um, so then there's little scenes that I'm like, I don't remember where they are. Yeah. Like I just, you know, I haven't studied it long enough to, for little small details to be like, oh, you know, because one thing to mention is there aren't alternate cuts of Superman three and four. Right. Like Superman, the movie, there's the three hour TV cut which I own. <laughs> um, there's the what director's cut that has the gauntlet in it for Superman, the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, then the regular theatrical. And then of course, Superman two has the theatrical, the international, which is also the TV cut, I believe. Um, and then it has the Richard Donner cut. Cause the TV cuts, the one that has the scene of that tries to show that Zod and non and all of them lived that they were just escorted and arrested, which I've never been a huge fan of that scene. Cause it feels, I don't know. It feels odd because it's not in your theatrical cut. Like it's a major scene that you just happen to th- toss away when you release the movie in theaters. Um, but on home release, you're like, we're going to put this back in. So they, they live. <laughs> yeah. I don't disagree with that. I mean, I feel like, Again, I guess it's one thing if we're truly dealing with a director's cut, but if it's, uh, you know, uh, again, a TV version or something like that, where, you know, it's one thing if you're adding a little bit more texture, extending some scenes, things like that. Uh, But that does, that's a drastic story change. Uh, So I think that that was pushing it. But yeah, you're right. I mean, three and four don't have those alternate cuts. I know there's someone out there. Uh, right now, a, a fan who's trying to get a uh, restored, expanded version, I guess, of Superman 4 off the ground. I'm all behind it. Like, I'm all about supporting it. He he recently did a podcast um, on the Superboy Legacy podcast with Sam Rizzo. Yeah. Uh, where, they were ta- where he was talking about it. Um, because, I mean, for people who, may, who are listening who may not know, like, there were supposed to be two different nuclear men in Superman 4, and they cut all that out. And the idea was they were going to film some new scenes, then use those and make a Superman five out of it. And so, I mean, they were already hacking four to death. So the idea of someone coming in and cleaning up and using the four and then blending in the three doesn't bother me as a film person. 
because it's like they're saying, hey, we as a we as a community, Chris deserved better than what you guys gave him. And what you left is his legacy on this character. And that's part of like what Redeemed is, is leaving a stronger film as Chris's last work as the character. Right. No, no, that's, that's a great point. And there's more that I want to talk about uh, regarding Superman 4. But w- while we're still sort of in Superman 3 territory, and I know we're kind of jumping back and forth between what's in the redeemed cut and, and the theatrical cut, but I, hopefully people are, are with us. Uh, I think we've been giving good context for what we've been talking about. I, I mean, my notes, if they want, if we want, I'll just read you how it starts with what scenes are color coded each movie. <laughs> I, I did the same thing. I color coded them too. What I found in the redeemed cut was that um, the the Superman two theatrical cut opening scene, the Paris terrorist plot, is almost midway. That's sort of a dividing line. I found thirty two minutes. Yeah, so not so not quite. But that's sort of a dividing line because I feel like. But prior to that, it's very heavy on the Superman three Lana Smallville stuff with some four mixed in. And after that, we get the rest of it is heavier with the Superman four with Superman three stuff sprinkled in. So that's sort of, you know, yeah. the, the general arc of redeem. But I want to just go back to the Superman three, just the regular theatrical cut of Superman three for a minute. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you, Christopher Reeve. The performance as evil Superman was interesting. I felt like he really played him like pretty viciously, you know, and m- m- like a lot more so than you would you would have likely expected from you know that movie series necessarily so i thought that that was an interesting choice it's always funny to me though when you know so he goes evil of course when gus gorman exposes him to the synthetic kryptonite that they couldn't replicate the actual kryptonite there was this unknown element that gorman just replaced with tar and so it created this synthetic kryptonite that um doesn't affect superman instantaneously but a little while later um, he starts to shirk his duties. And there's, you know, in the theatrical cut that, interestingly, a digital man did not use in Redeemed is when uh, Superman is at Lana's house and she gets a call that there's a, you know, a, a, a car that's going to fall off of a bridge. And he's like, oh, it can wait. And he sits down with her on the couch. And it's very creepy. And, you know, especially now in the, in the era of, of Me Too and, and the, the reckoning that we've we've been seeing, I felt like that scene in particular played differently. Like there was, there was definitely not that, you know, again, I think it was still dicey to begin with, but especially now through a, a modern lens, I, I, I wasn't sad to see that it didn't make the jump to Superman redeem because you really kind of worry for Lana in that scene. It's like, if he doesn't get what he wants, what's going to happen here? You know, I think about that, not having that scene helps it a little bit later, when you have the scene where Ricky is like, he's sick. Look at him. He's sick. Somebody help him. He Superman, you'll, you'll do okay. Because then that helps play into um, him flying off, you know, and then going to the junkyard and all that. And I, I could not remember um, if a digital man like drug out the audio, did a little bit more of how he, you know, blended that together. But had you had that scene, you know, that's in Superman three, like that, the, the Ricky scene is too, of him, you know, at the house, like they already know, but having that kind of, Hey, Superman, you were just at my birthday and you were great and something's wrong. And Ricky's the only one who's like pointing out like Superman's sick. I think it just having that scene, um, ejected makes Ricky's words even stronger. Yeah. 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 Right on. 
And, you know, whenever we deal with, uh, you know, I guess not even so much an evil Superman, but, uh, you know, maybe more of a, a rogue Superman or something like that. You know, I always think of, you know, red, red kryptonite Clark from Smallville. I feel like that's yeah. that's a very close comparison here. The the thing that was interesting, obviously, I want to get your take on this, you know, on Smallville. I always appreciated. I always enjoyed the Red Kryptonite episodes. And what was cool about them was that, you know, it, Red K on Smallville removed Clark's inhibitions. So he did the things that he always wanted to do, but he wouldn't allow himself. So he made the move with Lana or, you know, whatever the, the case may be. Here, the effect that the Kryptonite has on Superman, I, I don't know. It was, it was hard to sort of reconcile i suppose i mean there are aspects of it that kind of made sense like that first scene with lana where he doesn't rush off to save the day and it's like okay maybe he feels like people ask too much of him maybe he wants to just be able to kick back but we instantly go from that to <laughs> fixing the the leaning tower of pisa and snuffing out the olympic flame and you know and, uh, and then yeah the way he, when he does the flame he's just like hmm like he just it's just like jerk superman yeah like just being just being a d you know like because he blows out the flame and he just kind of like looks over like <laughs> and flies off you know and then, like you said the tower of pisa which that's like the one thing in this movie i would have cut is like the 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 merchant yeah that's still kind of hokey of him like pay, you know with his souvenirs and then the tower is and he's like oh you know um yeah, but I get what you're saying. Like, there's not like a consistency other than it's just like him slowly becoming more and more self-absorbed and a jerk. Um, and maybe like the longer he was exposed, he would have gotten worse and worse. Um, so, yeah, it's and and uh, look, the thing that I kind of <laughs> realized about this movie is that you know I I can't overthink it too much. I know I don't think there's enough there to really examine, but it just it would have been interesting if it had played out more along the lines of what they did in Smallville, where you really got more insight into, okay, like what are the things that he really wants to do or not do that this kryptonite experience is allowing him to explore as opposed to these global pranks that he's, that, you know, he's playing like it just, it escalates so quickly. And again, there doesn't seem to be much consistency. He does the bidding of Lorelai, the girlfriend of Ross Webster. He uh, causes that oil spill that, you know, that that's a whole, part of their whole plot to control the, 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 the world's oil supply. Uh, so I, so I don't know, like it would have been interesting to see, it would have been interesting to see Clark under the effects of this. You know, we only see him as Superman. Yeah. So I do feel like there, I mean, there were a lot of missed opportunities with this movie, but I feel like that was one. Uh, and then, but to, to your other point, man, I agree a hundred percent how it doesn't, the movie really doesn't feel like one and I'm talking about the Superman three theatrical cut. <laughs> it does not feel yeah. like one seamless piece. And, you know, it really does feel like two movies. And I think the evidence of that is the fact that in Superman redeemed, you know, a digital man takes is is basically able to just excise the, like the Clark and Lana scenes and some of the evil Superman stuff. And it doesn't, you don't lose anything. You don't feel like, Oh, I, I don't have context for this. It's like, Nope, it tracks just fine. Cause the, Smallville stuff and the Gus Gorman stuff were really on separate tracks for the vast majority of the movie, and they just lift completely out. Uh, yes, <laughs> and he took two movies and made one movie that makes more sense than the than the movies do independently. Yeah. So that uh, now one thing I wanted to ask you while we're talking about Kryptonite, yeah, real quick, like a Superman all around. I have always thought of Kryptonite 
being it's radiated pieces of the home world because of Krypton exploding. And I know that other stories they've seen where they're like, they've, Oh, we experiment with kryptonite or they were using some type of kryptonite on Krypton. And that's never tracked with me. I always thought about, like I even drew a picture when I was younger of like the planet and then like the crust would be green. The next layer is red. And then it's like the core of the planet is gold. So like the crystals, the deeper they go, the different. So that's why when it explodes, you found more green kryptonite because that was the top layer of the planet. And then you gold are so hard to find because that was the molten core of the planet. And I just wanted like, as a Superman fan, like what's your kind of take on kryptonite like that? I I love that idea. I think that's great. And uh, yeah, I'm with you. I like the idea. I don't love the idea of kryptonite existing on Krypton. I like the idea of it's the, the destruction irradiates the rocks on the planet. I'm also, you know, it's, it's funny, I guess overall, I am a fan of the kryptonite rainbow to an extent, like when used judiciously. And I think it's only because of the Smallville TV show. Because over the course of the years, we got a good variety of kryptonite. And, you know, I, I mean, I guess some were more interesting than others. I mean, I, again, they got plenty of mileage out of green kryptonite and red. I think I think red they made the best use out of. Uh, but they mm-hmm. did some interesting stuff with silver and black, certainly. I mean, Onyx, where Alexa split in two, is one of their best episodes. Um, and, and then, then they know. use the black to stop Doomsday slash Davis Bloom. Mm-hmm. That's when it comes back. Um, and then uh, I liked. I always liked blue kryptonite. Like and I, to me, like back to my planet idea. Like blue is like on the outside, right before the core, which is gold. Um, I mean, you can go crazy with kryptonite colors, but I think there's there's a basis when you look at it of like the layers of the of the planet of why there's the different colors. Yeah. I just want to throw that out there while we're talking about, you know, because then you have, like you said, in this, where someone's taking kryptonite or trying to make kryptonite and make something synthetic. That uh, And I think that was that was also kind of how they introduced red kryptonite and Supergirl was Maxwell Lord made synthetic mm. kryptonite. And that's how in the they got red kryptonite in the first season. OK, yeah, you know, it's funny. I don't remember that specifically, but I guess that 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 makes sense. Uh, but yeah, well, I know that's the thing, too, with the synthetic kryptonite here and it's still you know it's green it looks green i mean it, yeah again like i feel like that's another missed opportunity where it would have been cool to just play with actual red kryptonite or, or something like that uh let's take a quick commercial break and then there, there are one or two more things about superman 3 i want to hit on and then we'll move into four and continue our discussion of of redeemed so uh we will be right back after this commercial break film lovers and filmmakers should check out this family of film festivals brightside tavern in jersey city Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang On to Your Shorts and Cullen on Film podcasts, available via a shared universe network. The Hive Comics and Games is an oasis of nerd fun and events in the heart of Odessa, Texas, Whether it's comic book superhero stories or role-playing in a dungeon, the Hive is where to be. Come tap your mana and face off against the top Magic the Gathering players in West Texas. Hive carries a majority of new comic titles each Wednesday and has all of your favorite titles in their back issue section. Follow them on Facebook at The Hive Comics and on Instagram at The Hive Comic Shop. 
Shadadigans is a weekly podcast by dads sharing their fairly new dad experiences and also just talking about whatever. Listen, relate, and laugh. I was a guest on episode 90, and it was a blast. One of the hosts is a multiple guest of this show, Justin DeVoe. To follow Justin's fitness and cosplay journey, follow him on Instagram at Lobo. And if you're interested in starting or continuing your own fitness journey, check out Iron and Honor on Instagram. And we're back. I want to thank all of our sponsors. And I also want to give a shout out to Fat Moose Comics in Whippany, New Jersey. Tyler, you will appreciate this. Uh, the owner of that shop, Sean Hendricks, a uh, good buddy, uh, sent me a surprise package in the mail the other day. It was the full set of the Superman Red and Blue anthology series. Nice. And I've I've not read them yet. They look amazing. These are the books that are colored only in red and blue, you know, the distinct nice. Superman colors. And I know red and blue, I know that's a big thing for you, right? You and, and, and your co-host yep. on, on the Krypton Report. Uh, so I'm excited to dive into them. I'm very grateful. It was it was such a long week, and that was a very nice little surprise to get from Fat Moose Comics. Uh, so for anyone uh, in the New Jersey area, uh, I encourage you to, to stop in, tell Sean that uh, Anthony sent you. Uh, and if not, check them out on social media. Uh, and I am excited to dive into the Superman Red and Blue comics. You'll love it. The, I think I, I, I just like the – like I, I – when I talked to Mark Wade recently, you know, I, I brought up his, and I'll go on a little tangent here. Uh, the short story he wrote called the man of tomorrow, which was in the, uh, one of the collections of short stories for the dark Knight death metal series. Okay. Yeah. And if you haven't, like, you don't have to really have as much context for it. Um, and he talks about, it, but I was like the power of telling a strong Superman story in only like eight to 10 pages, you know, beginning, middle and end and capturing the, the character and I mean, if I had to give that whole anthology story like a rating out of five, I go to four point five because there's a couple on there that were good, but they weren't like ah, they don't touch me, like they don't get me as much. And there's maybe one or two that I was just kind of like, I don't really like it. But I mean, the majority of them were amazing, like short stories that are different ways that really touch me, like as a as a fan of the character, as a father, as a human being. Um, those are really strong that I, I connected to. So for anyone who wants to read Superman but doesn't want to get bogged down by continuity or long stories, I highly recommend just start grabbing those anthology books. They, it's it's um, You won't regret it. Right on. Yeah, I'm excited to dive into those. And I don't know, we might do an episode on them at some point. But, uh, but yeah, I, I am looking forward to those. So, you know, going back to Superman 3, I guess a couple of other thoughts. And I don't know, these are maybe slightly nitpicky, but, uh, but I don't know. One of them oh, is... I got one. I got one. When you, I'll let you go All first, right. but I got one. That's a, that's a nitpick. All right, I'll do one, and then I'll give you, and we'll go back and forth. So, when Superman is is evil, he's he's enduring the effects of the synthetic kryptonite. He has a romantic encounter. That's a very nice way of putting it. With Lorelai, the girlfriend of Ross Webster, our Lex Luthor clone, and the scene ends with them kissing and sort of falling down onto the bed or couch and the scene ends. So it's left to your imagination how far they go. Now, I, from my perspective, they, again, to keep it PG, they spent the night together because I feel like if that weren't the case, there would have, they would have been interrupted or he just would have flown off or whatever. We would have seen it end, but we didn't. It just kind of cuts off there. 
So I don't think it's unreasonable to think that, to not be PG, that he banged her. Then, and this, I, I so after he's back to his normal self and he has his final confrontation with the group of villains in the mountains with the, this giant supercomputer, he shows up and Lorelai is there and she's like, oh, Superman. And this guy goes, look, I don't know you, lady. And it's funny because I told my wife this. I was like, this is the coldest thing that any version of Superman has ever done. <laughs> it's wow. awful. I didn't think about Yeah. It's awful. And she was like, well, my wife was like, well, did he have amnesia? Did he not remember what he did? And I was like, you know, no, because he know that's the thing. And for a second, I was like, oh, maybe he doesn't remember. But then I was like, no, 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 because he goes to the lodge where he had this encounter with her and that's where he sees the video message from Ross Webster's sister and he knows to go to the mountains. So I don't think it's fair to say that he, ha I don't think we can let him off the hook with that amnesia. He says, look lady, I don't know you. And then, oh, and that's the thing. And then like a few seconds later when she's like, you know, still trying to connect with him, he goes, he goes, I, I wasn't myself. It's like, well, listen, that's, <laughs> that doesn't work, man. That doesn't, I was oh, like, a line oh, I've never God, I would never try that line. Like I wasn't myself. I'm gonna split. Yeah, so I don't know. I feel like that was in all the movies and I know in everything. I feel like that was one of the worst things that that Superman did. But it was just so. I don't know where where where's the where's the human? I mean, I know he's not, but he was raised as a human. Where is the human compassion? Where's the empathy? I don't know. That I mean, that really it, bugged me. <laughs> uh, it bugs me because of all the little scenes of him being very compassionate and like forgiving and like just the little things where he'll like shake someone's hand yeah um like the, the the way that he just treats people and then thinking about like you just said about it it goes to black it always feels like richard lester's directing is like if there's a joke to be made let's make the joke you know so like you said if they were like something was happening and someone interrupted or like something happened where like it didn't work out like i feel like there'd be that playability because he's like let's go for the joke um Man, I didn't think about that, but uh, what do you have? One thing that's hilarious, <laughs> my daughter, okay, she does this thing where she'll do something and then, or she'll come down like, dad, I have to hide. I'm like, what's wrong? She's like, it's the evil sailor. Or I'm like, did you do that? She's like, no, it was the evil sailor. <laughs> and I'm like, so the whole time you're thinking, I'm like, that's, that was, that's Superman's thing. No, it wasn't me. It was the evil Superman. It was not me. No. Um, but okay. So here's my nitpick. And it's at the beginning where Clark and Jimmy are going to Smallville on the bus and there's the fire at the plant. One that cracks me up is you have this security guard police officer staying in the road, like doing traffic and Jimmy and Clark are hunkered down right in front of him talking. And Jimmy's like, Mr. White says to go where the story is. And then like he gets as the fire trucks turning, Jimmy runs in front of this guy and then follows the fire truck in. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that guy saw Jimmy and just didn't care. Um, but my real nitpick is Superman goes over like, how can I help? And they're talking to him. There's the lake, you know, now that the water stopped, there's the lake. He flies to the lake, uses his freeze breath to freeze the lake. Let's back up a second. I said freeze breath, right? Why can't you just flown to the fire, freeze breath, the fire or super breath, the fire, kind of like we saw you in Superman, the movie with the gauntlet and everything, you know? or suck in the oxygen that takes the fire out because there's no oxygen instead of standing around kind of like doing nothing as Superman would, or when they talk about, we can't let this acid heat up. 
super breath. You just make it cold while you take care of the rest of the stuff. It is the most unbalanced Superman action set piece that I'm supposed to be cheering for Superman. And I feel like this Superman is off his game to where I'm like, is it supposed to be the evil Superman? Like it, it was it supposed to be maybe originally a scene where he was first starting his exposure where he's getting a little lethargic and he's like, oh, maybe, <laughs> you know, like, so yeah, I don't disagree with you. I mean, I think as far as why didn't he use his, his super breath to put out the fire, I think it, and it's don't not, say budget. No, I mean, this is not an acceptable reason, but I think it's because they got more, more mileage and more screen time out of him going to the lake and freezing the lake and carrying it over. Like, I, I mean, I think that was kind of it. You know, that part I can, I can, I can kind of give them a slight pass on that, but I cannot, I cannot overlook, and you address this, why he doesn't use the breath on the chemicals that are seconds away from overheating and causing this this chemical cloud that will kill millions that was the part that made no it's like buddy you have the, it was just it, that was baffling to me um and of course you know superman and lois in the in the pilot right the pilot or the second episode right they do this they it's do something the in the pilot right they do something very similar where he freezes the water and uses it uh, but that yeah. show has so many little callbacks to every version of Superman. And this is just my quick tangent is I really feel like the writer studied all forms of Superman and were like, had a whiteboard of what we like, what we can do and made like the perfect greatest hits. Superman is what we're getting. But that's, that's my tangent. Right there. I, I don't disagree with you. They did, I mean, they did a magnificent job and yeah, that was, it's funny because the first, uh, we, when I talked about it on the show, I didn't mention it. And then one of my listeners was like, oh, what, didn't you catch the Superman three thing? I was like, yeah, I did, actually did when I was watching it. And then I forgot when we recorded, but uh, yeah, that, that was cool. But yeah, in the context of Superman three, it, it's tough. I mean, that chemical plant fire, that set piece, that really had to carry a lot of the, the action load for most of the movie, I mean, you know, he doesn't really do much else. You know, he saves little Ricky from the the thrasher. You know, he, he doesn't do much else until he until he goes evil and then he just starts running amok, or flying amok. I I, uh, I always have to say, like, it, it always makes me laugh, like, kind of like, you love the visual of, like, Superman stopping the train to protect somebody, but you're like, you could have just swooped in and cooked the person and moved them <laughs> instead of destroying the train or, like, destroying the thrasher. Like, you could have just picked up Ricky. Yes. You know what? You know, like, yeah. You know what also bugs me about the the Ricky scene, and and again, I don't mean to nitpick, but at the same time, you know, I guess all my life, I've some of these things I've thought of, other things just came to me. But this is the opportunity to get them off my chest. Why did he have to change into Superman? Like, I, you know, that's the thing that where it's like this kid's about to be killed. It's like just you go at super speed and grab him real fast. It's like he changes into Superman, <laughs> swoops and destroys the farming equipment. You know, again, I, I know in terms of what they needed the to set up, they needed to have Superman meet Lana. It's like, I get it, but it was just like, come on. It's the small villain you. Yeah. Because I say that because like <laughs> how many times I watch Superman stuff, I'm like, he can run fast. Like he could do something on foot. He doesn't have to fly. Like, you know, he can just run real quick and do something. Um <laughs> So I'm like, you know, it is possible like that he's fast enough. They won't see him or just, you know, uh, but I also in my notes put, man, that's pretty high grass to be having a picnic yes, in a cornfield where they're, you know, harvesting wheat and everything like um, corn and wheat and all that. But I was like, that's a really high grass for a picnic. 
So I had to put that out there because I was like, this is the kind of like picnic where you go without the kid, Clark. But you're not used to that because you're Clark. You're too sweet of a good man. So kind of on that note, I guess that goes to my other nitpick, which is, you know, Superman 2, whether you're looking at the Lester cut or the Donner cut, right? The, The conclusion that that movie comes to is that, and I don't, I don't agree with this for the character, but the movie is telling us that he can't be with anyone, mm-hmm. right? That's what we learn in that movie. Yet the next two movies you know, just continue introducing these, these romantic interests. And he seems, I, I mean, honestly, in, in all fairness, he doesn't really, it's weird. I don't know how you would characterize the extent to which he reciprocates because he doesn't completely disengage, but he also doesn't, you know, really take true steps forward. So it's, it's some like, it's this weird nebulous area, but it's, it's like, they're still, le- they're teasing these romances. It feels like he kind of like, in a sense, learned his lesson that he can't be. So he actually, he falls into these setups where he's like, ah, oh, crap, I did it again. How do I get myself out of it? And I feel like that that's where he is. Like, um, and it's the same kind of thing. I've had a problem with the Superman series with that. And then the whole, you can't interact with human history, you know? (laughs) And I'm like, and then you think back like, okay, his presence changes human history. Him being on earth changes human history. Anything he does changes and alters history. And then they even talk about like, uh, for their potential for good, I send you, I send you my only son, you know, all this stuff that like Jarrell prophesies and like, I'm sending you to help them like, and all this. And I'm like, you can't go somewhere and make that much of an impact and not alter history because now everyone's going to be like, we need alien technology. We need to know there's more out there. So like good or bad, you're changing everything. And I mean, that was one line I loved about in man of steel where Jonathan Kent says good or bad. When people understand and know that you exist, it'll change religion, philosophy, our questions of existence that we, the, the question we've always asked, are we alone in the universe? All of this will change. So yeah, stick it, Jarrell. Man, I, I could not be more with you. And I've talked about this on the show before. That's never made any sense to me. I feel like, and you did a beautiful job encapsulating that. I mean, Jarrell sends a very mixed message where it's like, you know, they can be a great people, Kalel. They wish to be. They only lack the light to show the way. So he's going to be this light that's going to show the way, but he's not going to interfere in the course of human history. It's like... It's a real fine line to walk there, pops. You know, I don't, I don't really know, uh, you know, how you can really reconcile all of that. And, uh, and, and I agree they with even, you. They even tried to bring it up in a recent episode. I mean, Supergirl's in its last season. It only has two episodes left. Technically, that um, by the time this airs, it'll, mm-hmm. it'll be over. Yep. Um, and in an episode, a couple episodes back, she says it too. Like, well, I, my mandate is I can't interact with human history. And I was like, why are you bringing this up now? in season six, like after everything you've done, like that, that negates the entire series of existence because all you've done is change history because you worked for humans and aliens to work together. I'm like, I hate that line. It's just one of those things. And then they try to clarify it in Supergirl, like what that, that actually means. They spend so much time over explaining that. Then I'm like, that just shouldn't exist. Rant over. Yeah. Uh, you know, I gave up on Supergirl uh, at the beginning of the season 
the final season and uh from everything that i've read and heard like that i don't I, you know it's like at some point will i knock it out on netflix or hbo max yeah i guess i've watched five seasons and two episodes it's like yeah, i'll probably watch the last 18 at some point but i don't feel like i'm missing anything but yeah that line it's it's like superman 3 yeah yeah i'm not missing it yeah i yeah um but the thing about it that and uh, you know next year i am gonna talk about superman the movie and i know for people who've been following the podcast i know you might be like what you did superman 2 you're doing three and four now it's like what happened to superman the movie we'll get there i feel like the series just gets progressively well not progressively worse because i will take four over three but overall there's a decline and i guess part of me wanted to end on a positive note so i feel like we'll we'll be good at next year when we get into superman the movie right i mean i agree like it it does have that that feel and i mean it's just like i feel like they got a director who's good at what they do but they put him with the wrong project and that's what richard lester is he has a set of skills but it was like he was just like the friends of the of the salt kinds like hey do this for us and he did it and that was an issue. So. I think you have a Supergirl of your own who's uh, trying to get your attention. <laughs> I do. And she's wearing her uh, Supergirl uh, PJ pants too. Nice. Once my son gets older, I suspect he'll be, he'll be doing the same. He doesn't really spend much time down here in the Flat Squirrel Studios, but uh, I, as he gets older, I, I, I'm sure he will. And I, but I, I, I will welcome that, and I'm sure we'll do a father-son podcast at some point. <laughs> Uh, that, that you know that uh we we did the the um we did a couple small things like when we watched the Fleischer cartoons I'd always like pull out my phone and get a quick like what did you think kids and you know I I use my kids like as a quick side note as a barometer of like is what DC is doing for kids working or not like my daughter really has um gotten into the DC superhero girls she enjoys that show my son will watch that with her too um recently i did not want to watch it but i was going to throw my son in and have him try it was that aquaman king of atlantis on hbo max mm -hmm. that flat out like i said I, i'm a dc person okay die hard like i will give everything a chance i will watch the pilot to any show that was something i was like i can't do this like i was just like i can't do it and solomon watched it and he was like it's okay He's like, I'm interested enough. And like, we stopped it because we had stuff to do, but he's never like gone back, <laughs> you know, like he's never been like, Hey dad, I want to finish that. Um, it was like, why it was on, he was interested enough, but yeah, it's like Superman three. Oh, it's there, but I would never consciously choose it. Yeah. Unless it was like a group of friends, like, Hey, let's watch this together and talk about how bad it is. Then I'm like, I'm in. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, all in all with Superman 3, like I said, I was, it, it was really a frustrating viewing experience. It was a slapstick comedy that really had no business being a Superman movie. It, it I don't think it was even effective in what it was trying to be. Uh, there were, again, I think Annette O'Toole and that dumpster battle were the two saving graces of the movie. Yes. But overall, you know, it, it, it was, you know, again, Superman four at least had the decency to be 90 minutes. And yes, like you said, a lot was gutted and there, there's more behind that, but at least it had the decency to get in and out, you know, two hours and change was really pushing it for a movie that really had no forward narrative momentum. I mean, it really just like, I stopped at basic almost every half hour, not, not even, I wasn't like I was timing it. It was just like a roughly every half hour. I was like, well, where am I? And I'm like, oh my God, like I still have so much left. It was uh, it was just really rough. I think it just did a, a major disservice to the character with, like I said, a, a couple of bright 
moments. Um, yeah, I want to, yeah, I want to kind of segue a little bit more into four and the redeemed cut and kind of on that note, you know, we talked about the chemical plant fire. Superman redeemed was, was fascinating on a number of levels. And one of them was the way in which certain themes kind of formed in putting the two movies together. And one of them I think was this idea of science gone awry because now with these two movies together, you have the chemical plant fire from Superman 3. You have the uh, the hydrogen bomb that's part of the terrorist plot in Paris from Superman 2. And of course, you have Nuclear Man. And I think that kind of like, they, I think that all works together and it creates more of this narrative thread of science gone awry. And with now merging all of the Smallville Lana scenes with the Nuclear Man storyline and the nuclear disarmament, you know, obviously we knew that Superman cared about Earth and cared about humanity before, but I think having the Smallville piece with that kind of drives it home a little bit more, this idea of like, this is his home and he will do everything he can to try to, uh, you know, try to protect it and and steer it towards a better path. So I, I did think those those themes kind of came together and became clearer and more effective in that combined, uh, you know, Superman redeemed cut. Uh, so that was something that I definitely appreciated. Now, as far as Superman for itself, uh, like I said, I watched it uh, just about a year ago, and that was the first time I had watched it in years. And, you know, Superman 4, I kind of put in the category of, you know, in addition to Superman, I'm also a massive Rocky fan, as I've talked about. And uh, Superman 4 and Rocky 5 are kind of in the same category for me where watched them years ago as a kid and actually liked them and upon rewatch as an adult it's like you see all of the flaws and I still have some affection for them but you know like with Rocky 5 I remember as a kid watching the series for the first time and I was like oh like 5 was cool like the street fight it was different you know because at that point it's like he had four movies of him in the boxing ring I was like oh like it was cool he had the street fight you know, now I go back and I watch it and it's like, eh, you know, this doesn't really feel like a Rocky movie. And even Stallone himself has disowned it. So so Superman 4 was kind of one of those ones that as a kid, I think, you know, Superman's initial defeat at the hands of Nuclear Man really, that I think more than anything kind of really made an impression on me. And then his return and subsequent triumph. So I think, again, not unlike Superman 3, I think I had somewhat of, a, of, a, of an inflated view of the movie that I, I've now kind of corrected as I see more of what the movie is. But you had told me a while ago, right? I think that Superman 4 does hold like at least somewhat more of a personal meaning for you. Yeah, it was just it was just that movie, like I said, it was something that was always on TV. And I remember just so many times being in my grandparents' basement because that was like where they had like their living room was like in their basement, it was finished. And just playing down there with my brother and just turning it on, and it felt like it was always on. And I've shared this before, where I had a VHS dub from TV Superman 1 and 2 uh, copy for the longest time. And then, so I had that. I didn't have any connection to 3. And then 4 was seemed to always be on the TV at grandparents' house. So I just have, the, it's kind of that memory of like, grandparents' house, Superman 4, uh, kind of just being together. And I love my grandparents. Don't be wrong um, when I say this next part, but they were like the grandparents that like we didn't really do as much with. It was more of like just sitting around and talking. There wasn't a lot for us kids to do. 
because it was just me and my brother compared to like my other set of grandparents that were more involved in doing stuff because they had like 15 grandkids. Gotcha. So that that imprint of, of Superman 4 just being on in the background kind of has a little bit uh, stronger-ness to it. So like I, I had that sweet spot just kind of like the same way I have a sweet spot and even more now um, for Batman and Robin because like now – it's the live action movie that I can show my kids We're like, Oh cool. Live action Batman. That's more fun compared to like, you know, I shared the story with you about my son when he was like three trying to watch the dark Knight. of, uh, you know, he's like excited cause it's Batman, but like he's not gonna sit through that whole movie and get it, but I can, he can watch Batman and Robin, which he calls red Batman, which cause the cover art. Um, so I have, I have a, even more of an affection towards that because it's like, this is what I can show my kids. Um, and then to jump back a quick second, I've kind of decided that when my kids get older, they'll, they're always going to see Superman 1 and 2 on. But when they get up to a point where they can pay attention, I'm not just going to show them redeemed and not even say anything about it. Like, oh, yeah, this was the Superman 3 they made. And I'm going to have them watch it and then come back to me and talk to me like if they point out things that didn't work and see what they say. And then I'm like, you know why? Now we're going to watch 3 and 4 and we'll talk about it. And just to see if they kind of pick up or if they just like, oh, that was a good one. I'd be like, all right, mission accomplished. <laughs> I, I like your plan. And to be honest, I think I'll do something similar. I mean, you know, I was going to save this for the end, but I, I honestly, I'm at the point where Superman redeemed if and when I revisit these movies, not if, when I revisit these movies in the future, redeemed will be the way that I do it. I don't know other than at some point, if my son wants to watch three and four you know, in their entireties, fine. I will happily do that. But otherwise, I'm perfectly content to watch Redeemed. But, you know, you mentioned a couple of things that are really important. And I, I know these have come up before, but I, it's always worth, you know, mentioning. I think for all of us as fans, we all recognize that our affinity or lack thereof, depending on the situation for certain things, so much of that is tied into the experience that we were having at the moment and the time in our lives and who we were with and all of that, both positive and negative. I mean, you know, Superman Returns, I had so much excitement, so much anticipation for that movie. And, you know, I was, I remember sitting there in the theater and the movie did not meet what I wanted it to be. And it just, I had such a negative view of that movie for so long. And next year on the podcast, I will revisit it because it is, a continuation of the Richard Donner, Chris Reeve version of the character. That's my third canon. Gotcha. I have on here. Remember I said I had the two yeah. canon? That's, that's part of my third canon I have. Love it. And, you know, it's the sort of thing I'm curious to see how I will receive it years later. The scene in particular that I'm most curious about and that I think might kind of save the movie for me is, you know, the scene where Superman is talking to his son towards the end of the movie. And I think now as a dad, I think that's going to hit me a lot differently. And and the other thing too, and kind of going hand in hand with that, is this idea of, of expectation. You know, when a new Superman movie comes out, it's like we haven't had one in a while. We're so excited. We're watching trailers. We're reading stuff. There's so much that we want it to be. And then you know, again, hopefully some it, it matches that, but it doesn't always, and, and then that colors our view of it. But I think when you can then go back to it years later and, 
you know, like, again, I think Superman Returns will be a good example because it's like, you know, at the time I didn't know after that, it's like, well, when's the next Superman movie going to be? What's it going to be? You know, now I know what came after it. So it, I don't have all yeah. of that wrapped up in it. So, you know, that's always such a big piece. And especially as we're talking about three and four and mostly talking about what didn't work. And again, we're certainly not alone in that. But, you know, for anyone listening or watching, you know, if you have like a meaningful memory for yourself that's tied to those movies, or honestly, if you just objectively think they're good, like it's right on. It's like, you know, enjoy these yeah, movies please. however however you're able to. Um, but yeah, but I, I think it's, it's worth saying because I think that's such a big part of that for all of us, you know, whether we're talking about movies or comics or whatever. You know, you're talking about Superman Returns. Um, I had like the opposite effect because I was so excited to see a Superman movie in theaters um, because it was my first time getting to see something Superman theatrically. Um, And the time it came out in my life, I had bought my tickets for the midnight premiere. I bought tickets for the next day. And I ended up seeing it like four or five times in theaters. Um, And a part of it was just the excitement of having Superman on the screen. Uh, it was like every time someone came over, like they wanted to, like, let's go to the movies. What do you want to see? Oh, let's go see Superman. Uh, plus, it was at that time where they still did 3D, where like certain scenes were in 3D. It'd mm-hmm. be like, put on your glasses. So it wasn't the whole time. Um, but, you know, then like when it came out on home video and I sat back and took that step back, I was like, yeah, it really has things in it that I wish weren't or it was done differently. Or And then, you, then that's kind of like when the hype kind of died down, just, you know, I kind of looked at it more objectively like, ah, I still like it, but yeah, this is, this is weird. They did it like this, or this is not here. Um, but I was just so excited for that movie and it didn't disappoint at first, but kind of did a little bit later, uh, when I really kind of stopped and started thinking about it and then kind of like, where does this fit? When did this happen? Like, and then I thought, why did they do this when <laughs> the year before we had a complete clean slate reboot with Batman and then this they're like, we'll just, we'll make a sequel to what we did in the seventies. So that's my quick, you know, uh, because there are like, once again, and I think it's, I mean, I think it's valid bringing that movie up in this conversation because there are points to that film that are amazing that I wish um, weren't in that movie. They they deserve better. Yeah, no, I I will report back after I watch or rewatch Superman Returns uh, to discuss on the podcast, and that'll come next year. But essentially, I have a run of episodes. I'll give people a little heads up. I have a little run of episodes planned for next year where we look at basically the the Richard Donner Superman uh, across movies and comics, and that all takes a, a few different forms. And I think the the those of you who are familiar with uh, the, the mythology will know what I'm talking about, but it'll become clearer as we move forward. So we'll kind of take um, as as expansive a view of that as as we can. So that's something that's coming up uh, next year. So as far as Superman, I look forward to it oh. as a listener. Like, and I'll probably send you a message like I always do <laughs> when I'm listening to your new episode and you bring up a good point, and I'm like, because like I pointed out to you before with your podcast is like it's really like having your friend talk. And you're like, it's like you're that person who's like just in the other room, like cooking dinner while the, your two friends are talking. You're like, hey, yeah, and this happened too. Don't forget about this part. You know, and you're like, wait, guys, I'll be right there. So I, I'll be like, all right, I, I totally agree. 
No, I, I appreciate your messages. I love that. And uh, that's the, one of the best compliments that I could get about the show if people feel that way. So I appreciate that. Um, so as far as, as Superman 4, I mean, I think that, like I said before, the I think it's more well-intentioned. I think it was was trying to do something interesting. And yeah, of course, Christopher Reeve is, is credited with the story, this idea of Superman you know, bucking Jor-El's advice and actually, you know, interfering directly in the course of human events by disarming the world of nuclear weapons. And, you know, as you, we've both addressed, and I, I think anyone who's familiar with the movie is, is well aware, uh, again, this, the, the Salkins who had produced the, the three, the first three movies, uh, sub-licensed the rights to the Canon Film Group and the budget was slashed and it just you know it just shows on the screen it's 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 sad. oh yeah it's it's really sad and i think that's the thing that kind of broke my heart when when i rewatched it uh, about a year ago this idea that you know it, it, the superman flying or any of the effects looked better you know in the 70s than they did in the late 80s and all you need to do is watch a, a few minutes of the movie to, to see what i'm talking about if you're not familiar it was one of the, one of the other takeaways i had was you know, I don't know that a movie score has worked as hard as as it did in Superman Four. Like, I feel like they right. really relied on the on this music a lot to conjure what the prior, the first two movies in particular had earned with the audience. I will say, like, just for juxtaposition, watch the opening of Superman Four, watch some scenes, and then watch Superboy, and just see how almost on par, if not a little bit better Superboy is then because it's because Superboy was in came the year after or two years after I'm, I'm drawing a blank when it first premiered because it ran for four seasons I want to say it was it 88 88 to 92 okay, okay. so that, a year after. Right. so about four years after this supposed major motion picture of Superman um and just I mean the Superman 4 credits opening is so bad that it looks like it's on TV. Yeah, no, it was it was really unfortunate. Uh, but like I said, I think this idea that Superman is going to take this proactive step uh, was uh, again, I think, a, a welcome uh, addition to the series. And again, I think they they were trying something. Uh, what's really interesting is that, like I said. Uh, in advance of this, I finally read for the first time. I'm holding it up for our video uh, audience awesome. here. Uh, the that's awesome. The Quest for Peace comic book adaptation uh, that came out that follows the original screenplay, and I also watched or at least scrubbed through the um, the deleted scenes and the comic, the deleted scenes. So, in other words, the screenplay actually solved one of the main issues that I had thematically, I mean, the, in terms of okay. production quality and in terms of the execution, there was a lot, a lot lacking. And, I, you know, yeah. again, we have the, that fan editor out there who's trying to restore as much as, as he can and, and, and make it look better and, and all that stuff. And that's great. We can still only get so far with Nuclear Man and with certain aspects of the movie. But uh, the thematically, what always kind of bugged me was Superman goes to the UN and he tells them that He's going to rid the world of nuclear weapons and everyone erupts in cheers. That felt like a lot like wish fulfillment and very naive, right. but okay, great. And then of course, Lex hatches his plot and, um, you know, use you know, implants the, uh, Superman's genetic material in one of the warheads that ends up in the sun, creates nuclear man. They do battle. 
And Superman, of course, ultimately triumphs over Nuclear Man. And he gives another address at the end of the movie. And he says that, you know, I, I thought I could, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but, you know, I thought I could give you peace, but lasting peace can only come when the people of the world want it enough right. that they demand it of their leaders. And, you know, it's not something that I can give, but I hope that one day you see the world the way I do. The problem I always had with the way it plays in that theatrical cut is that from what we see, it's only Lex who's who's trying to use the situation to his advantage and creates Nuclear Man. Everyone else, for the most part, from what we see, appears to be on board with this. So that final message just did not seem to track, and that's always kind of bothered me. But, look, and I can't, like, salvation for Superman 4... In the in the comic, the deleted scenes, we see that Lex uses Nuclear Man to basically play the nations of the world against each other, and to sort of sort of make it seem like he uses Nuclear Man. At one point, Nuclear Man even transforms himself into a missile, which was weird. But uh, you know, basically, he uh, you know basically saying to one country, "Look, like there's still this nuclear power out there," and he's and he's playing the other one uh, you know off as well. And, and, you know, his ultimate plot is to try to get these nations of the world to, to buy nuclear arms from him. Like he'll be the new, uh, you know, weapons dealer to the world, uh, which, you know, from the theatrical cut, we knew that was his, his plot, right? He wanted to profit off of the threat of war. But in, in the comic and the deleted scenes, we get to actually see him try to make this happen and for it to actually have an effect. So... When we get to that end, that you know that scene towards the end of the movie where Superman is like, "Look, like clear, you know, we're we're not there yet," it tracks a lot more. Um, so that was something right. that actually solved it. And in the comic and in the deleted scenes, Superman, you know, at the end his speech, right, he says, "I wish you could see the world the way I do." And then he t- in these deleted scenes, he takes Jeremy, little Jeremy, who wrote the letter to him, on a flight around the world so that he can see the world the way Superman does. This idea that maybe literally physically rounding up warheads isn't the path but maybe inspiring the next generation teaching the next generation who will become the next leaders that's the way forward i feel like thematically it works so much better and you know we're only talking about a couple of small pieces here but it really filled in a lot for me and it really made a difference in terms of my overall impression of this i gotta tell you you know just from the just from like the point like Superman four let's point out is the only one to have a like a subtitle, yeah. Um, you know, the quest for peace, and once again, like we you know knowing the history of what Chris wanted to do with it, it it's not as disjointed as say Superman three was with these two storylines, but there is a little disjointment and like the Lex is goofy nuclear man plot. And then the seriousness of disarming the world of nuclear weapons. And then speaking to the themes that you brought up of, of what Superman did. And you know, that whole idea, like you said, of teaching the next generation and showing them, cause he says, you know, you see the world without borders or all this, like I do. And I think that's the perspective that only that character brings um, to a lot of situations is like, he's not telling us what to do. He's just saying, I want to help lead and show this. And, you know, uh, and you're right. Like with the whole, like I, as of this moment, I will rid the world of all nuclear weapons. <laughs> like, every, you know, it's like, you know, someone's like, 
no, you're not taking our missiles. Like, then what are we going to fight you with, Superman? That, that's like the modern, you know, mindset of, well, if you take that, like, how do we defend ourselves? Like, and it's one of those things, like, how how much do you take a character like Superman and put him with real world problems? And that's like always been something I've kind of wrestled to with, like, as a fan, as a person who likes to to write. It's like if I have this character that's all powerful like this, like Superman. Where is the line of like, if you start doing this, what happens? And that's kind of where I've just been, you know, like with the whole nuclear weapon thing, like it's, it's a great admiration, but it's another way of kind of forcing peace without getting people to actually like agree to it. Um, they, it makes you kind of like the, the person they fear because you took everything from them. Um, instead of having them surrender willingly or, you know, it'd been better if he like rounded up all the leaders and put them in a, a peace talk, like, all right, talk, you know, but it, it's, it's a good in theory story. Um, but yeah, it, it does have some parts in it where you're just kind of like, all right, I got to kind of shrug it off a little bit and move forward but you know you bring up themes so much because that's part of when you're creating movies what's the theme what, what's the theme of this story what's the theme of this season and the fact that you could take two movies about the same character and create a theme which you did in redeemed shows how much these two stories needed to be combined yeah I mean, that was one of the things watching the redeemed and I watched it. I watched it months ago, Tyler, when you sent it to me. And then I, uh, kind of like skimmed through it, uh, in, in advance of, of tonight. And I kind of made my list of, of what went where, but, uh, yeah, again, they do fit together surprisingly well. Um, you know, one of the things though, that's kind of, it's kind of heartbreaking to me in a, in a, in a way, because, you know, you look at Superman three and, they had a bigger budget, but they didn't yeah. use it effectively. You know, it's like they're they're Red all went to Richard Pryor. Red all went to Richard. Oh, there you go. They're like, here you go. Here's money. Make us funny. Make make money for us. Yeah. No. He's like, what movie am I in? <laughs> no, I mean that that tracks. But you know, again, like so you don't so you see it, I guess, in in the fact that they have him, but you don't see it in in the set pieces or special effects or anything like that. Like it's again a lot. It's just a lot of a lot of talking really and and minimal effects. And minimal action um whereas you know and then super <laughs> four it's like they tried something at the really ambitious and they didn't have the money for it and it's like i wish that you know maybe i don't know we could have had more spectacle in superman 3 i don't again yes. i don't know that it would have solved anything but it would have helped and then in superman 4 you know i would have been perfectly content if they didn't try some of the set pieces they really didn't have the money for. And instead we had had more talking scenes that got into these issues a little bit more or showed more of a realistic world reaction to, to something like this. So again, I feel like missed opportunities all around. Um, there yep. were, there were a couple of things that I wanted to get your take on this. There were a couple of things that a digital man didn't use in redeemed that he could have right like there was stuff like obviously once you decide you're going to cut the richard like richard Pryor, which again i think was perfectly spot on all that stuff yep. goes no problem but there were a couple of things where i was like oh that wasn't in there and again and i even double checked so i don't think i missed it but correct me if i'm wrong he sure. he doesn't use in superman he doesn't use from superman for the scene where he goes to the fortress to seek the counsel of the elders no what do you think about that because i like that scene well, i was kind of surprised that that went 
you know, like that scene, it's kind of like that, like the history of, like I said, in, in my head canon of like trying to remember where like this would take place after Superman 2, you know, because even both Superman, um, Superman 2, he spins the world back like he was supposed to originally. Right. <laughs> and everything. <laughs> Crypto's free. Um, <laughs> I did it, did it. Okay, Sayla. Um, so, you know, it's like, where, where's the fortress at? Cause it wasn't the Richard Donner cut where he uses heat vision and blew it up, but then he like spun back the world anyway. So it didn't make sense. Right. Um, two, I think just to keep the pacing, you know, going to the fortress, like, uh, I'm trying to remember that, did that involve any, no, it did not. Cause it's earlier, but I think it's kind of weird because we haven't really established what all the, cause think about how like in Superman one, it's just Jarrell. Right. And then with Superman two, they're like, we can't get Brando. So we're going to use his mom. And then it's like random people that were there. So it's like, what do you want to do with your story? Do you make it? Cause they do do, I think some voiceover a little bit of like Jarrell's words. Yeah. Um, kind of like in his mind and his memory. So I think it just kind of, it tightens it back up of just being, like what the wisdom of his father, you know, kind of trying to in all way, shape or form, get back to the original movie and tone, the verisimilitude, I used it, of the original uh, film. You know, kind of like we said earlier about the Ricky scene where had they done him at home with Lana, would it have made the Ricky scene later more impactful? Because you, you're looking at this project of like an editor's job. Hey, here's everything that was shot. You know, here's here's everything. Uh, you might like this, but does it really, you know, track with what you're putting together? Um, and that's kind of where I see that scene is like that scene, like, okay, it exists in F Superman four proper. Um, but what I'm trying to do and getting back to the first film, I'm going to have to eject it. So, yeah, no, fair enough. And I will say that the, a digital man's inclusion of the Jor-El voiceover i think accomplishes the same effect so i don't i agree i don't know that you necessarily need it but i did overall like it i i guess i was just kind of surprised that it wasn't there but i i don't disagree with you the other big sequence that i mean not, not the only one um you know and again all the entire romantic subplot with lacey warfield like all of that is gone but one other piece that he cut that i, I I, again, I get it, and I don't necessarily miss it, except for one small piece, which was the Superman and Lois sequence where he takes her on another flight and reveals his identity again and then erases it again with a kiss. Again, most of that I was happy to lose, but there was one piece of that scene early on when they're on the balcony and Superman says to her, you know, because at this point he's received the letter from Jeremy, can you get rid of all the nuclear weapons? He hasn't decided. And he says to her, you know, sometimes Lois, I, I don't always know what to do. And again, I don't know how much you quote unquote need that because I think the scenes of him staring out the window at the Daily Planet and sitting at home and thinking, like we see that he's deliberating, but I guess mm -hmm. I just kind of liked, I liked that moment of him vocalizing it to someone. And it yes. just felt like, you know, that, and again, just the, you know, look, the, the performances, you know, it, it's just, even in a weak movie, you know, the performance is still there. And so to hear Christopher Reeve as Superman say like, I don't always know what to do because, you know, this version of Superman usually does know what to do, you know, and he does it with yes. a smile and a handshake. And there's something very earnest and, and sweet about that. And so to have him express that doubt, that was the one piece of that sequence that I missed. And I wonder if there might have been a way to just kind of keep that that little beginning part of the scene. But I, I, I didn't miss 
another flight and another memory uh, uh, eraser. Right. But then, I mean, you think about the how they framed Redeemed where Lois, they use the, the from Superman 3, like Lois leaves at the beginning for her trip. Right. The whole movie takes place and then she comes back at the end. And I think, you know, what's interesting is like in this, as this movie, just looking at this movie um, with the journey and how it goes, at the end is the first time, even though this is in three, technically, Lois seems to actually take an interest in Clark. We talked about real mm -hmm. quick at the beginning of this, like, but when, you know, Lana shows up and you have Lana now in Metropolis, but somehow disappears in Superman four, we'll just throw that out there. Um, La uh, Lois now hasn't an, like an interest in Clark. Like, wait, who is this kind of like, what are you doing? Like, so there's this really kind of interesting tension that's there. And I mean, especially if you think about coming out of Su Superman two, you know, Lois leaves and you have that whole subplot with uh, Lana. But then um, it's just kind of funny because then you think about how much of the Lois stuff was kind of edited and tweaked around with the, the bomb, you yeah. know, even. So it's like, you can kind of say, oh, that was, she was already back from her trip or whatever. Like that's one of those small like, inconsistencies that if you really have to narrow it down, you can be like, oh, but you're not sure how much time is passing in the, in the course of this film. Cause like Clark leaves, he goes to Smallville. He's at Smallville. He has his stuff. He comes back, you know, and there's a couple times he goes and does other things. It's, I mean, it's conceivable that Lois came back and then was on this assignment and then, you know, everything goes on because we don't see Clark back at the daily planet till the end of the movie. And she show, she's there and then Lana's there. So, I mean, it, it all tracks. I mean, yeah, I got to tell you, and I, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I think the, um, in, in Superman redeemed, you know, using that, the Paris scene and, you know, roughly, you know, almost in the middle of the movie, it's like, yeah, it doesn't completely track with where we know Lois is right from Superman three. She's on her trip, but it's like, okay, maybe she caught a flight and you know, whatever. But one thing that it's I like, it's Lois, but what I kind of liked about that was it made her, it at least gave her like a three point presence in Superman redeemed. Like she's there at the beginning, there's this big middle sequence and she's there in the later part. So I, I liked that. Um, I, I thought that was effective. Had they not had that there, um, then, you know, this major character really has in redeemed in particular, like a very minimal presence. Um, and, and again, I also thought that the use of that scene, it worked on a couple of levels. One, you know, that was a Richard Lester scene from Superman two. And so given that Lester directed Superman three, like that fit, you know, that, that, you know, uh, in redeemed and also too, again, it was, it was helpful to have some sort of inciting incident to spark this conversation about nuclear disarmament. Right. Right. And that's what I thought about. Like when I was rewatching, yeah, it's like, I was like, wait a minute, what happened in Superman four that made them all of a sudden talk about nuclear. And I was like, this works so much better because it was actually a group of terrorists who yeah. had a nuclear bomb that they had gotten off the black market, which would make sense because we have black market sellers later and are actually trying to use it. And they're talking about it. And it's in everyone's kind of discussion because it was in the news. So that would bring up the nuclear discussion that would bring Superman to like, okay, maybe I should do this. So I was like, that makes so much sense. Yeah, no, it was, a, it was, it was really a brilliant choice. I mean, look in the context of a movie in the eighties, it's like, yeah, I know that was on everyone's mind. And so maybe they, 
well, either they didn't have the budget to do anything, they, they didn't have the budget to create more of that inciting incident, or it was just kind of taken for granted, like, well, this is the conversation at the moment, you know, everyone will be there immediately. But I think that scene, again, that and the scratch making him evil, I think were the two, like two of the best, most clever choices for Superman redeemed, yes. because they really just tied everything together. You know, it could have worked otherwise, but uh this I, those two choices I thought were really 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 fantastic. Did you was there anything that you missed about the effect that the scratch had in in the theatrical cut of it making him weak and old and mortal? Or were you happy to lose that in favor of the evil Superman? Um, I, it was. I mean, I just remember being a kid and thinking that was creepy because it was like it was almost like Superman had cancer. Yeah, that's yeah. Kind of what I thought about, like you know, what I'm saying like that's what we uh. <laughs> I, when I was sick and I was, I told my friends like, Hey, I can't, we can't do the podcast. Cause I'm like, really? And I sent them a, a, a meme of like a scene from Lois and Clark, which Dean Kane as Superman laying on, on the couch with like just a, a rag on his forehead. And, and my buddy responds like, okay, that's good. He's like, I thought you were like this. And he sent me like the meme of Superman and Christopher Reeve, like hunched over, like, you know, like the, but I cancer Superman look, you know? So um, I feel like there's, that type of stuff there's a lot of weight to that and if you want to keep a, pa a pace moving and it makes sense there's a lot more that you'd have to tie back into that because like you couldn't really get to the junkyard scene right yeah if you did that kind of sickness um you couldn't you'd have to find a way to get lois in the crystal and bring and do that whole thing that brings back the fortress so to keep that pacing and and the story to make sense um it, it, doing the scratch just made a lot more sense to then be like, that's how we get to the evil Superman. That's how we get the junkyard scene because it is like you said, so iconic. And that's how we can bring him back to health because it kind of makes sense that, you know, nuclear man has Superman's DNA as part of his creation so that his, you know, nuclear radiation. Cause I even put in my thing, like, all right, you're at like nuclear radiation but he's made in the sun with sun's radiation power Superman. But then I'm like, this is 1984 crisis hasn't happened in the comments. Was the sun really his, like, you know, like you start, like I'm starting to do that. And then I'm like, nope, just going with it. Just go with it. Go with it. And like whatever term super pseudoscience they want to throw at me. Yeah. I'm rolling. Well, Superman four was um, 87 though. Right. That it came out. I mean, obviously, they were right. Yeah, yeah. That's that was Superman three. Yeah, Superman so, four is eighty seven. So it was technically post crisis uh, because it was the film that I was born, but I was just you know right. two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So that that wasn't happening, but yeah, I was. I flipped the the two, but um, but yeah. So I mean, I, I just feel like they're already not using comic book characters. They're not on a study like what's the post crisis pre. You know what's going on in the comic? They're just like eh will eject all that. I mean, they made a Superboy show when Superboy technically wasn't even existing anymore. So that just shows you what, you know, the Hollywood aspect was at the time. So I, I can't pinpoint anything I say I miss. Like there might be like a little scene. Like I always thought it was kind of cool. Like Superman, you know, stopping the subway in Superman four, even though it was kind of cheesy, like right. he flies in the tunnel, you know, and it looks horrible. Um, and, you know, he stops it, but I really think with what he had to tell a coherent story, to tell a thematic story, to give arcs, to create arcs for characters 
and that scratch leading to the the evil Superman being that choice keeps the continuity of the two films to work together and give Superman that arc. Um, I think all the choices were spot on. Yeah. No, I, honestly, I, like I said at the top, I mean, I think it works as well as something like this could possibly work and really be- better even. I think like it's better than it should be. Uh, so Yeah. I mean, that's why I wanted to talk about like you have fan cuts, fan edits or all this kind of stuff. But then I, I feel like there was a real craftsmanship to this edit. Um, there was a lot more thought than just, oh, we're going to take this out and we'll put this in. There was a strategic plan. And I mean, I would love to like know the process of making this like and everything. Like what was the spark of just watching it one day and thinking, you know what we could do? Um, I'm glad it exists. You know, I, I think it's one of those things that for any Superman fan, if they want to hit me a message, I will put it in Dropbox or I mean in my Google Drive and share the link to them if they want to, you know, copy it or watch it from there. Um, because I, I do, like I said, like I, I inherited this file from a another Superman fan. And I think it's something as fans that we should all get a chance to enjoy. Um, yeah. So like well, I showed you, yeah. I burn a copy. I found the, the, the fan made cover art. I printed it and it sits on a DVD on my shelf with my other Superman uh, films. Like you just see it in there and you wouldn't even like, it's really like, Oh, what's this? Like you just be, Oh, Superman one, two, three, four redeemed re- returns. Okay. Like, yeah, I love that you did that. I, I, I might do something like that myself at some point. No, I was very taken with this cut. I was very impressed from an editing standpoint. And I, I'm, I'm with you. This wasn't a matter of just sort of, you know, a few cuts here or just kind of like smashing the movies together. I mean, a digital man was really able to weave them together. Uh, and again, with a couple of tiny pieces from Superman too, but really three and four and really weave them together. And like you said, create a, a cohesive, coherent narrative that for the most part, I mean, overcomes the biggest problems that the other movies had. So there's so much value. The One of the, or maybe even the last thing that I, I just want to ask you, because I know you talked about how you know, we'd love to see a, a you know a restored proper cut of Superman 4 and everything. I mean, again, I've now looked at the deleted scenes and I read the comic. And like I said, I think there are a couple of pieces that thematically would tie things together. But as far as, you know, the, the first version of Nuclear Man, uh, who's an uh, even less developed version of Nuclear Man, who Superman fights outside a nightclub briefly and throws him into an electrical pole and, you know, he fries him. Uh, you know, there are things like, I mean, was there anything that you, like, is something like that uh, a piece that you think would really elevate the movie? Or, or were there other aspects of it that you thought, you know, should have been left in? Well, there's been, I've always heard, like, there is more footage than we've ever actually seen. Okay. That was, that wasn't used or um, it's one of those like, oh, it's on a shelf somewhere in the archives. Much like they found some of that footage going through the archives that they were able to use to restore the Donner Superman 2 cut. And it, it makes me wonder, how messed up are your archives? <laughs> you know? Um, so I, I just think that, you know, I know that the, the Warner archives like collection, that's kind of their thing is like restoring that's who I bought the the TV cut through um, for Superman one. That's when I bought Supergirl through, which I have both cuts. Like that movie has multiple cuts, you know. Just bringing that up, like I uh, one's on Blu-ray and one's on DVD, and what I bought uh, the cuts. So and I can't remember which is which or what what. Um, 
So it's like I I would like to see, in a way, like a official Warner Brothers release. Like, hey, this is more of what we wanted to do because I wonder if they have more footage they've never shared. Um, if they went back and did that, or what the what the fan is working on, and I apologize for not knowing his name. He's working on restoring, but also altering some footage to make it look more like the first Superman film, like the subway, the way the the city looks, and stuff like that. Um, so what if he does it and releases it? I'm even more thrilled because I think sometimes fans take more time mm-hmm. and have more of an eye for detail because we we have a love for this, we have an understanding of the the universe, the world, um, and we pay attention to to craft. Uh, what we wanted to see, you know, what we were promised. And um, it is such an interesting story when you look at Superman three and four and how Superman returns was supposed to be one of those. Okay. These didn't happen. So we're going to put it here. And I feel like that never really works completely. Um, You know, like it's funny because Superman with this Superman's almost become like, if you're a fan of, uh, I know you aren't, but like a lot of people are a fan of like horror films, like Halloween. A lot of people joke is now like a choose your own adventure series because there's so many movies that sp- spin off into different timelines of well, this you know you have the original, but then you have like four different timelines, and I feel like that's where almost where Superman is. Where I was saying about my canons is like, well, if I watch the theatrical run, it makes sense. If I go over here and I watch. Um, the Richard Donner Superman two, then I can watch redeemed and it makes sense. Um, and then if I watch like the TV edit of Superman one with a TV edit of Superman two, it's like my over inflated Canon. And then of course I have Superman one, not sure which version of two and then returns, <laughs> you know, um, it's, 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 uh, just become this, you know, and then, I mean, you can throw Supergirl in there. I mean, they do tie it in. I mean, it was a universe before Marvel because we have Jimmy Olsen. You know, he was yeah. like the agent Olsen. Like, you know, Mark McClure's Jimmy Olsen is in the film for a, for a huge part of it. So it's not like it's just a one-off person. Um, and that is a weird movie in its own right. So um, I don't know. I guess at this point, it's one of those times just kind of like, show me. Just like, you know, I would love to see an animated version of the Nicolas Cage, Tim Burton, Superman, or or an official comic um, done of the third script, because that's another crazy production of like being multiple scripts. And there was a third script and it's still crazy that movie and the time frame and all that. And so, I mean, I just am at a point of like, show me what you have, like. Don't give me these like you like we've both seen the very grainy stripped down like deleted scenes where yeah that nuclear man was like ridiculously dumb. It looks like a bad like BC villain from an episode of Superboy. Um <laughs> heck, find someone to edit that into an episode with Gerard Christopher Superboy and have like Christopher Reeve and like Gerard Christopher together doing something. I mean that that could be hilariously fun. Um so I don't know. I just you know if they release it. I'm in because it's something I'm like, I'm curious about. And there's enough distance where, I mean, you can't make it any worse than what it already has gotten the reputation to be. Um, and we, I just, I get tired a lot of times as a movie person of there being so many cuts to a movie. Um, I don't mind like, Oh, there's this one. And then like, you know, the director's cut. Okay. But when you get like three and four, like 
cuts of a film, it's like, you're like, really like, it makes it harder to enjoy. Now I'm just getting tangential back to you. No, I, I, I'm with you. I think at a certain point it does become unwieldy and, you know, I, I, I don't know where the line is. I, I guess I, I do fall, you know, basically in the same, um, area that you do where you know when it is a director's cut when the director says like this is my preferred version of the movie so we have a theatrical and we have a director's cut i think i'm good with that that's fine i think you know when you look at something like the superman that three hour extended tv cut where the you know producers padded it so they could air it over multiple nights I feel less good about something like that because that doesn't feel like, again, going back to at the very beginning when we're talking about fan cuts generally, it's like, I guess I ultimately land on the side of what the, what the director's vision was for this. And so whatever most closely represents that is great. And, you know, obviously the vast majority of movies, we don't, we don't see a director's cut, but you know, instances like this where we're something like that. um, And of course, you know, Snyder, that was a whole extreme situation and I'm glad that his vision was restored. Um, but yeah, I, I think you got to be careful with, you know, having so many versions floating around. Um, it's also, you know, going back to what you were saying before about, you know, just keeping them straight and access to them. I think that's another thing that sort of bugs me. Like if I'd feel better about it in, in case of Superman in particular, if, you know, Warner's put out a set that had like all of them on it and it's like, yeah. okay, like at least now they're all together, they're compiled. You can kind of see how they break down, but I guess I hate the idea of like, there's a version out there like I might not even know about it, or if I do, it's like I don't know how to get it. I, I, I don't That's like I, I don't like that like, either. The TV cut of Superman two is like I hear people who, especially from the UK, reference things um, that I'm like, okay, well, you know, in my original Blu-ray box set that I bought of Superman, it has Superman the movie, then it had the special edition, uh, extended special edition that had the restored gauntlet, you know, scene in it. Then it had Superman two. Superman two, the Richard Donner cut, then three, four returns. One, they should have just went ahead and threw Supergirl in there just because. Yep. Um, but then, you know, he said, I have every version that I, I have access to of these movies. Two cuts of Superman um, one, two cuts of Superman two. Or I'm sorry, three cuts of Superman one, two cuts of Superman two, two cuts of Supergirl, one of three, one of four. And it's just like, I'm curious what the Superman 2 with the TV, you know, edit is. But then we talked about how it makes it a lesser film. Um, it's like Blade Runner. There's like three cuts of Blade Runner. And I think uh, Oliver Stone's Alexander was like a disaster. But it was like three cuts of that movie. There's like the theatrical uh, extended and directors, you know. And it's always like when you get into conversations, like with, especially with Blade Runner, because it's a, a big sci-fi. Well, what cut are you referring to? And it's like, well, this played out differently in this. And then it's like, well, what's the movie? You know, it's like, you know, the extended cut of Superman, we have that gauntlet scene. Why would you ever take that out of the movie? Because that's just a display of his powers. It's just spectacle. Like, that's what you came to see for Superman. So to me, it's like, that's like an extended cut where it's fine. You know, you can, it's still the same movie. It's just this awesome scene is not there. It doesn't change the movie. Right. Um, Like we talked about the scene from Superman 2. That changes a huge portion of Superman 2. But then 
they lose their powers, but then in the theatrical release, he spins the earth back anyways, right? No, wait, that's the Richard Donner one. Right, yeah, yeah, that's Donner. So it's just like, yeah, but anyways. Yeah, no, I, I get you. Uh, but again, I, I want to thank you for introducing me to Superman Redeemed. Shout out to a digital man. I don't know if a digital man will ever hear this, but if you do, kudos. I mean, it was really yes. an achievement. Uh, you know, I don't know that I would necessarily now go down the rabbit hole of fan edits, but I'm very, very glad that I got to experience this one. I really enjoyed this conversation. I thank you for taking part. And, you know, it was, like I said, it was great to be able to explore you know, these are two of the lesser entries in the Superman canon, uh, but they were worth discussing. And I think this was a, a good way to, you know, voice some frustrations about both cuts, you know, both original theatrical versions of the movies, but to do so in the context of this other fan version that's out there. And and I think that gave, it kind of put this, gave it a, a, a more interesting spin to this conversation. So I thank you. Um, where can people uh, check out Krypton report or, and, or is there anything else that you want to plug, uh, with respect to the podcast, any upcoming episodes or anything like that? Uh, well, I mean, just like I said before, like we're, we're working on doing stuff on YouTube. Um, we have videos with the, the kids do unboxing videos are hilarious because they get into them. Uh, but Krypton reports on YouTube, Twitter, <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, uh, anywhere you go for social media, you'll find us. I mean, look for the logo. You'll, you'll see it. And, <laughs> She's crazy. Um, Sayla, no. Sayla, Sayla, no. I could do our sign off. It's all good. <laughs> I just need to say something. Okay, Sayla, this is. It's okay. Say hi. Say hi. Hi. All right, she's waving. So for people listening, you couldn't see that, but uh... okay, we're almost done. I'm ending. But I want to. I want to thank you. Like I, like I, I've said before. Like I, fan of the of your show. I was a fan of your my comic book country film. I've enjoyed listening to the way you approach the character and your discussions. And I've enjoyed our little discussions that you and I've had. So it's, it was great to get you on Krypton report and kind of talk about, you know, like I said, anyone who listens, go hear our conversation there. Cause I picked something that kind of, you were like, I never would have thought about this. And it's kind of, you know, having a daughter, uh, you, you sometimes you do think about things differently. Um, you do look at perspectives differently and how, characters are represented because you want characters for her to look up to or you know good or bad because she's crazy remember the evil sailor um but thank you i I really enjoyed this it's been a good time all right no i appreciate that thank you uh thank you to our audience Uh, make sure that you check out the krypton report and make sure that you come back here in two weeks for our last episode of 2021 until then remember it's about what you do it's about action. Digging for Kryptonite is a Flat Squirrel production. Art by Greg Shegel, music by Basic Printer. Join the conversation by becoming part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network Facebook group. Follow Digging for Kryptonite on Instagram and Twitter and visit flatsquirrelproductions.com to explore more of my film and podcast projects. <laughs>